welcome you back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and Bob. Bob, I'm glad to be back with you again. Hope you've had a good week. Look forward to chatting with you and taking our discussion further about Worldview Matters. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ross. It's always good to be with you. And as you and I both believe and want this program to set forth, we think that how people look at the world is a very, very important concept of life. We, uh, worldview, as we've talked about before, is kind of like a, a lens, a set of glasses that we view everything around us, and it helps us interpret those things and how we live our lives according to that view. You know, I heard us on TV the other day an ad about a new lens called Clearview. And as I was thinking about it, it said that dust doesn't bother it, humidity doesn't bother it, water doesn't bother it. It gives you a clarity of vision straight through that glass. And so it shows on one side a normal glass or your eyes. It shows on the other side what this clear lens will do for you. And I thought, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about here. And I think that if we don't want a clear lens to look through, to see truth, we're tricking ourselves. Now, over the weekend, I also heard some statistics, and the statistics were alarming to me. Somewhere between 1 and 20 percent believe that there are there is absolute truth. Now, that is of primarily young people under the age of 30, and depending upon their position in any sort of organized religion, the more involved they are in, in stating to be Christians, the closer it is to 20%. But the world itself is greater than 50% of the people say there is no absolute truth. But even when you get into the Christian community, absolute truth is something that is challenged by most people. So we're, it's an uphill battle when you when you espouse the the efficacy of of absolute truth in your conversation well you're exactly right and one of the great questions that has come out up throughout history is what what is truth and you know that that's really the basis to what we're talking about here it's really the basis that for how do we build a worldview and we live in a we live in an age and we've talked about this in some of our our earlier programs, Ross, that naturalism has become the the worldview of choice in Western society. Naturalism being the perspective that all that really is, all that is true, is what's natural. That is what we can see. Another word way of talking about that is materialism. It means if if you can't see it, taste it, touch it, measure it, scientifically analyze it, it's not real. So in the words of philosophers, there is no metaphysical. There is no, there's nothing above the physical. All that really exists is the physical. And that has significant implications for how we look at the world. Well, certainly, I think the more you talk to people, the more you see that the, the lens uh, that each of us look through the world at is um, is different, and so it brings us back to this question of absolute truth. And I, I believe that that's a core concept that uh, that we're talking about, regardless of what sort of religion or lack of religion you have. The question is, do you believe that truth is absolute or relative? If it if you say relative, 
then each person becomes their own God because they are, to, they are determining what is actually true as opposed to the discovery of what is true. You know, at the end of the session, this last session we had, Bob, a week ago, we, uh, we talked about uh, solid foundations, and this leads right into what we're talking about today. Maybe we pick up right there and continue that discussion, Bob. Maybe you've got some thoughts that you've had since we talked last time about that. Yeah, I, I remember you were telling the story about being at the beach with your with your grandchildren at some point in the past and how you were trying to illustrate for them this critical concept that truth really is important. And I think you used the, the example of uh, putting some kind of a column in a bucket of water. Maybe you could tell that again because I thought yeah. that was really spot about this illustration. It is quickly, I, I made two columns that were about three feet high, and in cross-section, they were about two by two. So on one of the columns, I put a foundation, which was about an eight by eight plywood board, and I nailed it securely to the bottom of that column. So I put both of these columns in a polyethylene, about a two-foot by three-foot, six-inch deep polyethylene little box, so to speak, storage box placed them securely in there, filled it up with sand to about a depth of four feet, four inches, I'm sorry. So you couldn't see what was at the bottom. Then I filled it with water and began to shake it and push on the two columns. One of them, of course, fell over the other didn't. So my question to them was, why did one fall and the other not fall? And as they gave me, the ages of my grandchildren are six to 14, so you can understand exactly what the kind of responses I got. And then as I began to tell them about foundation, and I pulled those two things up to reveal the one that had the strong, solid foundation, then the visual really uh, came into play, and they said, oh, 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 and they understand. So what we try to do, my wife and I try to give a visual understanding of some biblical concepts to our children, and that was one we, we did on foundations. Well, your grandchildren are fortunate to have a wise uh, grandfather. I know they think you're a wise guy sometimes, but you're also <laughs> a very wise man. And the thing that's so telling about that illustration is you weren't the first one to use that, of course. Right. I'm sure most of our readers have heard the story of where Christ, after teaching his great sermon on the mount, makes a statement, and I'm going to paraphrase it basically, but the man who hears his words and puts them into practice or obeys them, he's like a man who builds his house on a rock, on a solid foundation. But a man who hears his words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on sand. Of course, when the storms of life come, sand is not a very good foundation to build on. So it becomes eroded and the house falls, to your point, to your illustration with your grandchildren. But what was really telling about the fact that you used Christ's illustration, and we didn't mention this in our last program, is that that statement by Christ is an incredible, one of those incredible statements that sets him apart, sets him above, in actuality, any other religious leader of all the religions of the world. Because in essence, what he was saying to the Jews of his day was that he was the lawgiver. He was the one who had the authority to tell people what was right and wrong. This is back to the point that you opened our show with today, that Jesus was saying his words were the basis for absolute 
truth. That's an, that's an astounding statement for any man to make. Well, it is. Interesting, my wife and I were at dinner the other night, and we try to engage uh, people really kind of wherever we go. Young young girl was waiting on us, very sweet, nice girl. So I, I asked her how long she's been here. She a native of this area. No, just moved here. What brought you here? Uh, then are you involved in any sort of youth group or church group? Well, yes, I am. I just got started. Where are you from a, your spiritual walk standpoint? Back to the point of uh, ask her if she had made a commitment to Christ and Christianity. And she said, no. I asked her why. Then she said, well, you know, there are a lot of different views that you hear from different people. Even in Christian circles, I hear different views. I really don't know what to believe. So then we led her to um, some key questions. And one thing I like for people to believe is that this guy, Jesus, is is the key difference between Christianity and any other religion. So the question is, what do you do with that guy? You've got to make a decision about him. If you discard him, then it opens up a lot of other things. If you believe in him, then it closes a lot of doors because there's an exclusivity to Christianity. And that's one of the things that people in the world are against Christianity for because they say it's exclusive. Absolutely. But based on what you said earlier, either Jesus is who he said he is, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. So you you really have to deal with that person. Now that gets to my question. We're talking about a worldview where maybe one, two, five percent believe in this absoluteness of truth. We have to have a message, or we have to have an apologetic, the Greek word apologia, which means a, an ability to defend. So we, we've got to be able to exchange in a discourse with people in the marketplace about this, uh, not only the human experiment and the American experiment, but this issue of absolute truth in Christ. So maybe you can pick up on my diatribe there and add some, some things to that, Bob. Well, there are several things that you said that were just spot on. You weren't the first one, nor was I, to to point out the fact that the words and the claims of Jesus Christ were incredibly uh, exclusivistic in the sense that he repeatedly claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis was the first one to point that argument out. He may not have been the first, but he's the first one in contemporary history to say that, that basically uh, Christ was much more than just a good moral teacher, which is what a lot of people want to believe that he is or that he was, that the, the teachings of Christ, the claims of Christ were were good teachings, and they certainly were. Those of anybody who's ever read the Sermon on the Mount or the parables of Christ, or especially his teachings about loving your neighbor, all of those teachings, you, you look at this man and you go, those were incredibly moral, uh, giving us a basis to be able to live life with civility on the earth. The problem is that people want to relegate him to just a moral teacher. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, he didn't leave that as an option. Because he claimed to be, and we mentioned this earlier in the show, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be 
the lawgiver. And there's, you know, and maybe at some point in the future show, Ross, we can unpack those claims, Christ. But he was either much more than just a moral teacher, or he was much less than that. And uh, well, that's he, incredible. Yeah, if he is a moral, te- only a moral teacher, then he has lied, and therefore uh, it throws everything out of balance and up in the air. So that's not an option. He, he is or he is not a liar about the issue that he was son of God. So, um, and you're, you're right. Maybe maybe a future show is a place to talk about that uh, in more depth. And I would be interested in, uh, as I know that you would be, and maybe hearing some of our listeners out there, maybe they could they could log in on this and say, well, you know, I disagree with you, or I do agree with you about about your statement about Christ. He was either more than just a moral teacher, he or he was much less than just a moral teacher, which, as you say, basically undermines his whole teaching if he was a liar. But there, there's another point I think of what you're making. And this gets back to this culture that we live in. And if I can maybe represent the naturalists out there, I think I think that people in the world today sometimes get a little put off by Christians claiming that their way is the only way back to God. I, I have a chance to talk with college students a lot, and I hear that a lot from my friends who are students. They say, you know, what right do you Christians have? of being able to, or, or, you know, saying your way is the only way back to God. And, you know, I have to admit, that does sound pretty arrogant sometimes. And um, it depends on how you say it. But, you know, it, I, I don't mean to, to interrupt your train thoughts, so please hold it. But this gets to the issue of tolerance. A Christian has, I believe, every right to say what they want to say about their viewpoint. Now, the person doesn't have to believe that, and so, but you can claim exclusivity of, of Christianity, uh, and others can claim that theirs is either exclusive or inclusive, but this issue of tolerance is one that rears its ugly head uh, about that issue. I don't think that there's a problem for claiming that Christ or Christianity is exclusive under those terms. Well, I think you're making a great point, and you know, there, there are really two there are two uh, principles I think that support or but underneath this whole dialogue, this this cultural conversation. Ross, that's the term you and I've been using. You and I are having a cultural conversation right now. Uh, I think one of the principles is this, how do we know truth? How do we know what is true? That gets back to everything we've been talking about on the show up until now. But I think there's another principle that is underneath all of this, too, and that's how do people who claim to know the truth communicate that truth in a way that's not arrogant, and how do their lives need to line up with the truth that they say they believe? And when when I get in a lot of conversations with, with those under the age of and there's a lot of those. You mentioned that that uh, that demographic earlier in the show. The, the thing that that irritates them most is when they hear people who claim to have a, a an absolute viewpoint who, who don't communicate in a way that's gentle or kind or uh, respectful. 
And so I, I think that, you know, there really are these two things going on here. There's how do we know truth, and then how do we present truth in a way that's, where people can really hear that truth and, and be able to think about it, you know, ponder it without, um, without stumbling over it. And I know right now that that's easier said than done. You know, I think you're exactly right, Bob. Uh, and, and you and I have different personalities. I'm, I'm more of a linear, straight line engineering thinker. Either is or it is, and it's black or white. It's not a lot of gray. You have a, a much more softer, empathetic way in talking to people. So I, I do struggle with that, and I have to be very, very conscious of being telling what I believe to be truth in a kind way and. and a winsome way that draws people in and doesn't push people away. So that's a great admonition to me in my well, discussion with people. Well, and, and as you know, you're often a great admonition to me. I think that's why we have so much fun on this program because, you know, I like to look at this, at the idea of truth being balanced with grace as, uh, as like a, a tightrope across a chasm. Uh, on one end of that tightrope, there is an anchor point that is truth. On the other end of that tightrope is an anchor point that is grace. And, and you need both of those anchor points to draw that, that line taut enough so that someone can walk on it. It's interesting that the Bible says of Christ, we're back to him again, aren't we? Yep. Coming back to Christ and what he taught, but the Bible says of Christ, that he was full of grace and truth. He wasn't half grace, half truth, making a whole. He was full grace, and he was full truth. Now, Ross, I'm not making any statement about either one of us being full of anything at this point. Are you following me on that? I am, absolutely. What I that, by the way, that was a little sarcasm. But. <laughs> I t- uh, understood the sarcasm. I felt like I needed to jump over it. <laughs> Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, our wives both think we're full of it a lot of times. I know that. The fact is that Christ himself was gracious to the absolute ultimate, but he was also truthful to the absolute ultimate. And, you know, you and I have been friends for a long time, but what's happened in our friendship is you've made, you've made me lean toward absolute truth, and hopefully I've made you lean more toward absolute grace, and together we can find a balance point in our relationship and with our own, our own personalities. But for our right. listeners, we, I think it's important that they understand that, that Christ was full of both of those things. He's incredibly gracious. So if you're out there listening to this show, and you're wondering, wow, uh, boy, I, I'm not sure that I know what's true or what's not true. I would encourage you to remember the words of Christ himself. He said, if any man is willing to obey God, he will know. He will know whether the teachings that Christ was giving were really from God or he was just speaking from, from himself. That is an incredible promise. That uh, obedience, obedience to God, is a prerequisite for understanding the truth of what is really true or not. And I think that's important because, Ross, at some point, I hope we're going to be able to talk about the fact that, according to a biblical worldview, 
there's there's a force work in the world that has an agenda to blind people's eyes to what is true. Well, you you don't have to look very far to see that because and this is not a show to discuss political issues or what have you. Obviously, if you have a worldview, you can't get away from political issues and social issues and, and things of the day. As a matter of fact, in, in one of our earlier shows, we talked about the social issues that related to the Chick-fil-A situation. And at some point, we might get back to that. But uh, we want to, to maintain a focus that is purely worldview and not political in nature. But you see diametrically opposed positions on the same issue, so you know that both can't be true. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe one is true and one is not. But we have to be fruit inspectors and in being able to determine what to believe and what not to believe in every aspect of our daily life. You're exactly right, Nob. You know, anybody, anyone who has read the words of Christ, and um, I would encourage every thinking person, every person who considers himself an intellectual person to go back and do that at some point, to be well-read, to go back and read what Jesus said about himself, about the world. Uh, one of the things that he repeatedly talked about was that behind the veil of what we can see with our physical eyes, behind naturalism, if you would, there is another world. There's an invisible realm. And he actually referred to a God of this world. Now, we're not talking about evil here as a, as, a, as a concept. Jesus talked about evil as being an actual being, or literally a race of beings that had the capacity to impact the way people see the world. Now, I realize that sounds like science fiction. Even when I say that, I go, whoa, we just, we just crossed the line. Cue, uh, you know, uh, the music for Twilight Zone. But the fact is that part of this worldview perspective from a bibliocentric viewpoint is that there is an invisible world that has beings in it, some of which are good and some of which are evil. Well, that's not not far-fetched at all. I think we're dealing in the spirit world in, in one way, but we're dealing in the flesh and blood world also when it comes to the existence of evil. Obviously, the existence of evil, our belief is, came into being with uh, the fall of creating uh, Satan. So, but you're, you're, you're right. I, I agree with you that we are dealing with issue on a daily basis, and we have to deal with it, you know, with a worldview, looking through the lens that, that we believe is the correct one. Well, I bring that up here not to, quote, get into Sunday school teaching. Uh, we want to avoid that, I know, but, but, it's, but if we're going to be speaking about worldview and the way the, what constitutes the world, this gets back to our Eight questions, again, Ross, that we mentioned in our earlier programs, that one of the things we have to be able to do as we unpack these different views of the world, uh, the, uh, a biblical theism or a, a theism that says there is a creator God versus naturalism, and those are two of the worldviews that we've been unpacking a lot in our early shows, 
that biblical theism makes room for an invisible world, and that invisible world has an impact on the way people in this visible world look at worldview. There's a, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians, those of you who are Bible readers out there, I think it's in chapter 4 that says the God of this world blinds the eyes of those people who choose to be disobedient to God. Now, that's a paraphrase, but that's an incredible passage, an incredible statement for the Bible to make about worldview. Interesting thing about that passage, and one of the interesting things is that it, it, it does say that at some point in time, God says, wait a minute, you, you're not believing what I am telling you now. I'm going to make it tougher for you to see that. So, well, I think you're right. And, 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 the, and, the, and the point of demarcation for that, and boy, I, I hope that all of our listeners, whether you're a Christian or you're a, a naturalist or you're maybe from a different religion, even a different theistic religion like Islam or Judaism, I hope that all of us will realize that there's embedded in the words of Christ this amazing promise that if we're willing to obey God, if we're willing to obey our Creator, basically, at core, Ross, the issue of worldview is an issue of heart more than an issue of intellect. Jesus said if you're willing to obey the Creator, God as Creator will open the eyes of your heart and help you understand what His kingdom what his world is all about. However, if you're unwilling to obey your creator, then it, the implication is that there is a darkness that falls on people's intellect, on their ability to perceive the world in which we live, that clouds the lens, if you will, so that they can't see it clearly. Wow. That's, a, that's an ominous, but comforting thought. How can it be both? But it is. I, and it, it, let's go back to the issue of theism and deism. That is the one thing that says the difference between theism and deism. The deist says, I believe there's a God, but he created this and he left it to its own devices. This verse says, these verses say, God is active in life every day. So, it's a it's a theistic worldview to to read that passage. You're right on, and that that is a great place to to go back to to remember that Western culture didn't start with that didn't didn't end up with naturalism overnight. It ended up for, by moving from theism through deism into materialism or naturalism. And you're exactly right. That's the two theological terms there that talk about the nature of God. A deist believed that God is transcendent, that he's big and above his creation, but they don't believe that he's eminent. They don't believe that he's present in his creation. Of course, Scripture teaches that he's both. He is both transcendent, but he's also eminent. He's present among us, and that is very comforting. And I, I would just like to maybe uh, issue a an invitation. You can even call it maybe from my per, my personality, Ross. This is an invitation from your personality. This might be more of a challenge. Uh -huh. I believe it's a good solid 
biblical invitation slash challenge. And that is this. Anybody who's out there who's listening to our voice, if you're really confused about whether God is real or whether he's not real, and you're really kind of troubled about the the conversations that are happening about between Christianity and, and maybe other religions or other perspectives, rather than start trying to sort out all the religions, I would like to just, here's the, here's the challenge invitation. Start by saying, God, if you're real and you are the creator, I'm willing to submit to you as one of your creatures. You see what's going, Ross? Yep. If he's creator, then we're part of his creation. He's above us in the order of things. And so a good place to go, a very wise place to go for a created being like us is to submit to the creator being and say, I'm willing to follow you. And I believe that's the first step, whether you're a Christian or a, uh, a, a Muslim or a Jew or a, an, uh, an atheist. I guess that may be a little bit of a contradiction, but you know, really, there really aren't any real atheists because atheists say, I know everything and I know for certain there is no God, which really is a contradictory statement. So you, you know, see I've where I'm going? Wife, yeah, I've heard your wife say, Bob, uh, something that I've, I really think is a great idea in a discussion about faith. She says, I've heard her say to people, if you thought that God was real, would you want to know him? And I think that's a good addition to what you have said there. And I think it's a great place to either end this section of our worldview matters or to begin the one that comes after this. Because as Tennessee Ernie Ford says, said, He's passed away, and many of our listeners won't even know who that is, but he was an entertainer of a few years ago. He said, I see by the old clock on the wall that our time has come to a close. And so it has gone, 30 minutes has seemed to be three minutes, at least to me, hopefully to our listeners, and we hope you will come back. But we must leave. And that is a great thought to to lead on, to leave on. If, um, if you thought God was real, would you want to know him? And so simply ask yourself, pray to pray and say, Lord, if you're real, show yourself to me and uh, see what happens. Bob, thanks so much for another opportunity to share with you and with our listeners. Look forward to next week very much. It's always great to be with you. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it also.